hear the word of God to you this morning. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth, on earth, will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From, from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Ascends the reading of God's holy authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Some of you will remember last Sunday particularly noted that as we take a look at these verses in Genesis 12, what shines through clearly, even in a cursory reading, is the God of all grace, first of all. Remember his promise, his call to Abram five times, I will, I will, I will. What also shines through, just through a reading of it, a simple reading of it, is Abram, the man of faith. And we, we mentioned, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, we really focused on God's side of the equation last time. So this time, we're going to focus more on Abram's side of the equation, his faith that he exercised by the grace of God in response to God's word to him. Now, I pointed out something last week, uh, you may or may not remember, that Abraham is mentioned in 26 books of the Bible. That's a lot. Second only to Moses. Well, I want to add this week, because it's really going to be pertinent to what we're talking about this week, that out of those 26 books, 11 of them are in the New Testament. So 11 New Testament books, almost half, more than a third, almost half of the New Testament books mention Abraham by name. Now, the New Testament authors pick up on the Old Testament's teaching on Abraham as the father of all who believe. That's what the stress is. They take great point, pains, to point out, now listen, this is really important, that being a physical descendant of Abraham is not enough to be included as one of his descendants. The New Testament, from Jesus all the way through, points out that only those who have the faith of Abraham are his children. Very important point to point out. So that means, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you have that same faith 
in that promised seed of Abraham, then you too, uh, as Jesus said to little Zacchaeus, you too are a son or a daughter of Abraham. And that's really important. Because to be a son or a daughter of Abraham is to be a son or a daughter of God himself through faith in Christ. That means you're a part of God's family. So Paul points out, for instance, in Romans 4, 16, that Abraham is the father of all who believe. And then he puts it this way in Genesis, um, in Galatians, excuse me, Galatians 3, 8 to 9. This is really important. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And here's the really cool thing. I've been meditating on this for quite a bit here. Abraham's faith is held up in the book as a model in the book of Romans, in the book of James, in the book of Hebrews, as an example to emulate. He's held up to our faith as the believer par excellence. You want to know what faith looks like, the New Testament authors say, let's go back to Genesis and let's take a look at Father Abraham. That's how you're going to know what real faith looks like. And it's going to be really important for us, this has been really exciting to me, to look at what does that faith consist of? What's the nature of that faith? What's it all about? Because if that's what I'm to emulate, then I need to know what it looks like. And as I've been doing that, literally over the last month or maybe even more, I have to say, God has truly strengthened my faith. God has renewed me. He's given me a renewed sense of focus, a renewed sense of purpose. He put me back on the tracks. You know, did you ever see a train trying to run that's not on the tracks? It don't go too far, does it? What does faith does? Faith as we look ahead to Christ, it puts us back on the track, it gets us back on the straight and narrow, and it puts us where, where God wants us to be. And here's the point. I was so excited, so bubbling over. The thing that hit me is I want God to do, through his word here in Genesis 12, what he's done for me, for each and every one of you. And that's why, yes, every single Sunday you should be paying attention to the Word of God because it has the potential to totally transform your life. Can I get a witness? But this morning in particular, I'm going to ask you to slap yourself, stand up and stretch, take a, a drink of water, whatever it need, you need to do to focus on this because it is literally life-changing if you actually take it to heart and don't just take it like another blah, blah day. So this is what we're going to see as we look at... Abraham, the man of faith, three things, and these things are profound. The first thing is, faith takes God at his word even when all evidence seems to be to the contrary. Super important. Secondly, faith is primarily focused, listen to this, on what God will do in the future. Not what he's going to do now for you what he's going to do in the future. Powerful point. Really woke me up. And the third thing, faith in what God has promised to do in the future will deeply affect how you live in the here and now. Faith in what God will do in the future will change the way you live in this world right here and right now. Three simple points, but man, are they rocking. So let's take a look at the first one. 
Faith takes God at his word, even when all evidence seems to the contrary. Now here's what's interesting. Abraham, or Abram at this point, had no idea, no earthly idea of where God would bring him. You notice that's what the text said. But he did know, what did he know? He did know that God promised him a land. He knew that God's word told him to leave hearth and home and to go where God would later show him. The writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. I'll be turning to Hebrews uh, 11 a, a number of times because it's God's inerrant commentary on Genesis 12. How awesome is that? This is what we read in Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now listen, can you imagine? You've got to remember, at this point, Abraham had a huge extended family, like niece, uh, uh, nephews, and a bunch of servants. And he had this big entourage. And you can imagine when he says, okay, guys, we're going. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I live in a household and the head of the household says, we're going, what would be your first question? Well, where are we going? And, you know, all I could think about, I'm sorry, forgive the illustration, but all I could think about is the little rascals. Yeah, believe it or not. I thought about Stymie, my favorite character in The Little Rascals. So they're on this, this car they made by themselves. These kids made this car, right? And they're flying down the road, and they go to hit the brake, and the brake busts. And he shows the brake to his friend. And they say to Stymie, well, where are we going? And I love Stymie's response. It is so classy. He goes, I don't know, but we're on our way. <laughs> and you can imagine that this was pretty much what Abraham, the only answer Abraham could give was, I don't know where we're going, but we're on our way. Why are we on our way? Because God told us to pick up and to leave. And so I don't know where, but we're on our way. And here's the thing. This is where it gets really interesting. God promised to make him into a nation and to bless him. And of course, in order to make you into a nation, you would have to have children in order to build a greater family and a greater nation. And he also promised that he was going to give him the land of Canaan. But there's only a couple problems with those promises when you look at it. The first one is Abraham was 75 years old when God made this promise. And we find out he didn't, the promise wasn't even, he didn't even have the child until he was about 90. Impossibility number one. And Sarah was barren and past the age to have a kid. And God's saying, I'm going to give you a kid. That's the first problem. Second problem, oh, I'm going to give you a land. And as we see in verse 7, there's only one problem with the land that, Abraham, that God shows Abraham. You know what the problem is, right? It's filled with people. People already fill this land. In other words, listen, this is why it's important to understand this. There was every indication, humanly speaking, that what God was promising him was, first of all, humanly impossible in the case of giving him a child. And secondly, extremely unlikely at best in the case of inheriting a land because there was already people filled it, filling it. But here's the incredible thing. This is why, where, where Abraham's faith shines like a beacon to us. Verse 4 again. Let's read it. It says that Abram left as the Lord had told him. 
And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated. And let me just stop there. I've moved 15 times in my life. And it's only my wife and I and two boys. And each time, it's amazing the junk that we accumulate. And I'm sure I got an amen from Mayor. No matter how much we pare down, the next time we move, we're like, where'd this stuff come from? Well, can you imagine you've lived somewhere for 75 years? Can you imagine all the stuff and the servants and the cattle? All they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And I want, to see, I want you to see the sacrificial nature of faith, which could be a separate point, but I decided not to do that this morning. But I do want you to see this, just for a moment. It's no light thing to leave hearth and home, to trade the familiar for the unknown. What you have in your hand for what God promised to do, promises to do in the distant future. Now, it's really incredible that Abraham simply leaves because the Lord told him to. Listen, even though all the evidence in the world was screaming, it ain't going to happen. Abraham, you're nuts. I remember someone before Abraham did something kind of crazy, too. He built like this big boat. Kind of remember that? When there was no rain and there's no water near him. And God said, build a boat. And by the way, I didn't mention this when I preached on it. You realize it took him 100 years to build that boat? You realize how much he would have been mocked for 100 years? I've lived a little bit more than half of that. I can't imagine 100 years. That's the kind of faith Noah and Abraham here had. And what did they have faith in? Notice, they had faith in something really incredible. The bare word, promise, or warning of God. That's it. He's, listen, this is the crazy thing about Abraham. Crazy good. You know, crazy good. Sorry, I had to say that. I thought that commercial. What's crazy good about this is he simply took God at his word and he went all in. You know what Abraham's plan B was? Plan A. There was no plan B. But now this is where I begin to preach. Isn't that what true, saving, living faith in God and his promised son Jesus is really all about at its core? When you boil it down, let's, let's boil down what faith is. It's simply taking God at his word. That's what faith is. I've said it, I can't tell you, dozens of times from this pulpit. God said it. That settles it. What? I believe it. But listen, sounds good, sounds simple. But it's believing so much in the truthfulness or the veracity of what God has said that you adjust your entire life. You align your entire life with that word. Because notice, by faith, Abraham did what? Obeyed. Did you catch that? He obeyed. If you really believe something, what? Your life's going to show it. You're going to live in light of that word of God. And you're going to look very different than an unbeliever would look. Your life's going to look strange to the world. Listen to what Hebrews 11 has to say about this very passage. According to, um, 
Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is so awesome. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And of course, along that, that, in that list of ancients, who takes up the most space of Hebrews 11 is Abraham. He's the chief one listed. And notice what's very important. He was sure of what he hoped for. He was certain of what he did not see. Now listen. Why was he certain? How could he be sure? Because he trusted God. He trusted God's character. He trusted that God tells the truth. And he believed in God's promises. Listen, this is so important. Even though he couldn't see them. Even though they actually seemed pretty absurd to human reason. And here's the cool thing. We are Abraham's children if we do the same. Indeed, the world around us will think we're pretty crazy, we're pretty strange, that we live life here and now according to things that can't be seen. Things that are promised us, not now, as we're going to see in a moment, but in the future. Listen, 1 Peter puts it this way. 1 Peter 4. Let me, let's get real here. He says this to the believers scattered. He says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now listen. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account of him who was ready to judge the living and the dead. Listen, in other words, the world's going to think it's strange. Why aren't you grabbing all you can now? Why aren't you indulging in as much pleasure as you can now? You only go, go this way once. Right? Because we are living for the city that's coming from God. The city whose architect and builder is God himself. And the city that will shine and last forever. And there won't be no government shut down then. Amen. I'll tell you that right now. Because guess who the ruler is going to be? King Jesus. The just. The righteous one. The holy one. The one who is filled with love. And would rather die than be without his people. And I think he's worthy of our trust. I know he is. Abraham saw his day, Jesus says, from afar off and he was glad. Look how close we are. Should we not be glad? And it's important to see that faith at its core, look at this, when you boil it down to its most basic element, it's found again in Hebrews 11, I think verse 11. Um, he says, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Do you consider him faithful? Because guess what? All the promises God made in the past are yes in Christ Jesus. Listen, what, what characterizes us as God's people, as his children, as his saints, as his redeemed ones and his followers is simply this. 
we are believers. That means we believe. That means we trust. Abraham believed God when he told him he was going to make him into a great nation. Even that, when that was flat out humanly impossible. And what happened? Verse 12 of Hebrews 11. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now listen, this is the key before we go to our second point here. Faith is not a leap in the dark. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to punch myself in the head. It's not a leap in the dark. And it's not blind faith. You know what it is? It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Why? Because it's based on the one who made the character of the one who made the promise. I'm not walking into this blind. I'm not stymie going, I have no idea where I'm rushing headlong to. I know where I'm going to. You know why? Because Abraham knew where he was going to for the same reason, because God promised us and told us there is a promised land. And here's the cool thing. Abraham knew it wasn't Canaan. He knew the land he was looking for was an eternal one. We're going to look, that's the second thing. And, and faith is primarily focused on what God will do in the future. According to Hebrews 11, even way back then, Abraham knew God wasn't merely promising some earthly plot of land. Look at Hebrews uh, 11, 9 to 10, or you can look it up later, check on me. It says this, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For here's the beautiful verse. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What Abraham knew, brothers and sisters, is what we know in our hearts as well. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. That this world, with all its blessings and good times and joys, it's always a mixed bag, isn't it? With sorrow, with disappointment, with suffering. And in this world, no one escapes this world alive. Well, Enoch did. But, you know, that's one. And Elijah did. But other than that, this world is filled with sadness. This is, and it's temporary, and it's passing. And the thing about Abraham, and it's so important to see this, he never received the promise fully in this life. Think about it. He had to buy a little bit of land from the Canaanites in order to bury his dear wife. And he never saw the day of his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren dwelling in the land. That came after he met with God face to face. Real quick, Hebrews 11 says it this way. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. The clincher, therefore God is not ashamed. To be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
You know, it's really interesting that God promises to bless Abraham with a people and a land. And it's not about the here and now. It's about the distant future. And Abraham himself had that expectation. That will be our expectation as well if we are true believers in Christ. That's why we are called New City Fellowship. In case you didn't know it. This is the plug. This is what, because we are waiting for the city that is to come. We know that because that city's coming, we got to make a difference in this city. Because what we do here and now matters. We'll talk about that in a moment. But ultimately, our hope is not in putting a band-aid here or fixing a little thing there. We know this world is temporary. So our lives will be characterized by faith in God's promise to bring us safely to that new city that he's for us. That means, listen, this is important, that we'll face both the temptations in this present world, and what are the temptations in this world? The temptations of this world are to adopt its values, to live by its views, to grab all we can now, to grab all our reward here and now, to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. We have to face that, those temptations knowing that we got something better, brothers and sisters. But we'll also be able to face, and this is super important, we'll be able to face the persecutions and the threatenings of this world if we don't conform. Because we know, look, the worst they can do is take our bodies. But they can't take our souls. And they can't take our destiny. <laughs> wow, isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. Awesome. So we hope in God's promises that are yet unseen. And of course, the question begs, are you living this life, a life where the world and its temptations to indulge in ungodly desires and its threatenings to make you suffer, if you take a stand for Christ, are painful realities? Are you living this life by faith in the unseen God and his unseen promises? Because that's at core of what faith is all about. We just saw it being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we, we do not see, and that's what God commended Abraham for. That's what God's word tells us in Hebrews 11. So here's the issue. This is a word for us who have believed the good news that's been brought to us. Those who have answered God's call to leave everything and to follow Jesus like the earliest of disciples. The question is, will we continue to do so? Will we keep pressing on in faith? This is not the time, brothers and sisters, to take a break. To sit down and say, hey, I already did my time. This is the time to press forward. Abraham really believed God when he said he was preparing an eternal promised land for him. And the question is this, do you? Because if you do, your life is going to show it. It's going to be reflected in your everyday values, in your choices, what you choose to meditate on, what you choose to mull over, how you decide to spend your time, how you spend your money, what you spend yourself on, and more accurately, who you're going to spend your time with. Is going to be with God and his people and reaching out to those who need grace? Or is it going to be with the kind of people who, whose reward, the Psalms talk about the wicked, whose reward, reward is where? Only in this life. That's the opposite of faith. 
really hit me hard these last uh, three, four weeks as I've studied and meditated on this, when you think about it, that he lived as a stranger, as a sojourner, as a pilgrim in a foreign land. And I want you to see uh, just a few examples that this isn't only true of the saints in the Old Testament. Because some may argue, well, Christ has come now, and, and now it's more about the here and now. 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12. Dear friends, I urge you as what? Aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when? The future, on the day he visits us. It's all about keeping our eyes on the prize. One more, just so you know, just not Peter, it's Paul too. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Listen, health and wealth people. What's the Holy Spirit? A guarantee of what? Just read it. Inheritance. Do you have the inheritance now? You do not. When will you have the inheritance? When Jesus comes back. It's a guarantee. C.S. Lewis said this. Man, he's good on the after. I love his quotes about heaven. I got two of them. But here's one. If I find in myself a desire which no, no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, one of the hugest things I've seen, I've been walking with Christ since 1986, and I've seen it in the church so often, is dissatisfaction with life. You ever been dissatisfied with life, even as a Christian? And that opens people up to all kinds of crazy doctrine and teaching where people promise you all kinds of victorious Christian living, you name it. When the reality is, God doesn't want us to be fully satisfied here because he doesn't want us to get too comfortable because we are not made for this world. We're made for the world to come. And you ever notice when you get a little too comfortable, God decides he's got to shake stuff up a little bit? I know he does that with me. And he reminds me, Sam, you're not home. You know, in, in this world, lately especially, you just hear so much about following your dreams. I get an amen. About doing what you love. You do what you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> or another one. We gotta fulfill our bucket list. Now, I don't want to overreact and say there's no place for personal dreams or for enjoying the good things that God's created in this world. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life, the life of faith in Jesus, is not about God fulfilling all your hopes and dreams here and now in this world. It's much more about living life here and now in light of the new city that's to come that God has promised us in the world to come. It makes me think of when Jesus said to his disciples, in my father's house are many what? Mansions. Because I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that? 
And what I love what he says, because this is so encouraging, he says, if it weren't true, what? I would have told you. I'm not going to lie to you about pie in the sky. I'm telling you this because I, who have never lied, Jesus could say, am telling you the truth. It's about this world, is about this life, Christian life, is about making choices that are consistent with the solid fact that's only comprehended by faith. Listen, 1 John 2.17. Listen, let's see if you live your life by this. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Wow. That means while there's nothing wrong with times of recreation, refreshment, and simply taking some time to smell, stop and smell the roses, we're not focused on those things. And we're not going to get too comfortable here. Quoting again from C.S. Lewis, I told you I had one more. He says this, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. Are you doing that this morning? Are you keeping your eyes on the prize and saying, come on, brothers and sisters, your eyes have been turning. We need to focus there. Don't focus on that person who's asking for help who, for the tenth time that, and your patience is running out and you want to give up. That's not where your eyes should be. Keep your eyes on the city to come. Don't focus on those you've been sharing with the gospel with again and again. They're still not responding. Again, focus on the kingdom that will last forever and keep doing the will of God. Now, this is why, just a few moments more, I'm watching, just a few moments more, but this is where really the good stuff comes. This is why, brothers and sisters, if you want to get practical, it is so important for us to stay in the word of God. If you notice, and we'll notice this as we go on with, with Abraham's life, God continues to come to him and just re-emphasize the same promise to him. Do you notice that? He did it again in our passage. Later on, he says, here's the land I will give you. Then later on he says, I will bless you and your inheritance, and your um, descendants after you. And he continues to do that chapter after chapter. Why? Because we have to breathe in, drink in the eternal word of God on a daily basis because the messages we're getting from the world are deadly and are not helpful. So Dick Lucas um, gives a great illustration. He, he, one time he went to see what he calls beluga whales. Now I saw they're also called white whales. And he said what was amazing to him about them is they're these huge creatures. They would, they would come swoosh up into the air and then boom, they go under the water for like three minutes. They would stay under the water for about three minutes, but after that three-minute time, you'd see them whoosh back up in the air, take some more oxygen, and then boom, back in the water for three minutes. And Dick says, and I'm stealing this from him. He says this. It seems to me that we can't live in this world without being drowned by this world's standards, its codes, its conventions, its aims, its ambitions, its likes, and its dislikes. We can't live in this world unless we breathe daily from God's word. Just as they swoosh up to breathe the air from another world, we have to do the same. 
For by our conversion to Christ, we now live in two worlds, one of which will pass away and the other which won't. Isn't that cool? In a word, we need to keep God's promises and his warnings before us at all times, remembering that indeed we're pilgrims, we're strangers here, we're traveling to our true home. An American tourist went to visit 19th century Polish rabbi Hopitz Kain. And he was astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with books, a table, and a bench. And the tourist asked this, Rabbi, where's your furniture? Where's yours? replied the rabbi. Mine, asked the puzzled American, but I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. So am I, said the rabbi. So am I. Now listen. So we deny ourselves of sinful pleasures and the comforts and the security of fitting in and being liked and being accepted by the world for what God promises to do in the, do in the future. Well, what do I get now? What about here and now? Wait for it. You know what you get here and now? Because you do get something. You get God. <laughs> wow. You get God. I'm not making that up. Look at verses 6 and 7 in Genesis 12. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So what does he do? So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He worshiped God. He built an altar. Verses 8 and 9. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So look, what's left for us to do in this world as we await what's really promised in the world to come? Worship and work while we wait. While we wait, we worship the God who loved us and sent his only son, and we serve the God who loved us and gave us his only son. Because as we're going to see throughout the rest of Abraham's life, he served God here and now as he waited for his true home, the city whose architect and builder are God. So I'm closing with this. Now the psalm makes sense to you. Savior, if of Zion city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures. None but Zion's children know. I pray that you know that now. And that you will know it more fully hereafter. When Jesus comes to take all his true believing ones home and bring them into the new city that's coming down from heaven. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your eternal, lasting word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will last forever. And we thank you we could take that to the bank that you have promised us as children of Abraham, as those who believe in the promised seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, that you have an eternal city. Jesus, you told us you're preparing a place for us. And that's our real home. So 
please encourage our hearts with that fact so that we can live in this fallen, sad, broken place with the great hope of the, here to, the life of the world to come and make a difference in people's lives here and now for your glory, not our own. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.